under supernatural grace. How do we live under this amazing, God-given, supernatural grace? Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for being my wonderful family and partners. I pray the Lord today will bless you and enrich your life and strengthen you in Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. And Lord, to you belongs the glory and the praise and the honor. Oh, wonderful Lord, open our hearts and open our eyes that we might see wondrous, glorious things out of your word today. In your blessed name, Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Would you mind throwing the Lord a kiss with me? Come on, one, two, three. Amen. Wonderful Lord. We serve precious Jesus. All right. I want to talk to you about how the cross of Jesus releases supernatural grace we can live in. Because all through the cross, remember that, Christianity is not a set of rules and regulations. No. You know, it seems that some people, sadly, who are in the church, when they sometimes talk about grace, uh, they, don't, they don't really know much about what the Bible teaches when it comes to grace. Because they say, well, we're not under the law, yet they construct to themselves religious rules and religious regulations. Look, I've seen this happen, okay? I grew up when I was saved in a church in Canada, 3,000 young people, incredible blessings of God. They brought in a man who began to teach legalism. And he would always say, we're not under the law, we're under grace. But that pastor and the people he brought began to develop and construct for themselves a set of rules and regulations that had nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever, and they destroyed that movement in Canada. So think about 3,000 young people in a beautiful service every week at a great cathedral in Canada, glorious experiences with God, thousands were swept, you know, swept into the kingdom, and then sadly, a few years later, this man comes and begins to teach legalism, basically, uh, rules and regulations that he himself came up with. And that's what happens with people who say, well, we're not under the law, but then they begin to construct a law unto themselves and become so legalistic that they, they destroy people's lives. So when it comes to grace, let's understand what grace really means in the first place, okay? So let's go to Romans chapter 3. We're going to read verse 20. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Though in the first place, the law of Moses was given to give Israel the knowledge that they are not living as God wants them to live. It exposed their sin, basically. And the, the law was added, added, frankly, to grace. That's what it means by added, because everything in the Bible, if you look at the whole Bible, it's really about grace anyways, because uh, when God created the world, uh, Adam was introduced to what? Grace. When, when God 
called Abraham, it was by grace. He declared him righteous by grace. There was a, and by faith, there was no law given to Abraham, no law given to Isaac or Jacob, no rules and regulations at that time. It was a message of faith and grace. When Israel came out of Egypt, the law wasn't even yet given to them, so they came out of Egypt by grace. They saw the power of God by grace. God spoke audibly to them by grace and gave them the Ten Commandments. The law was added later to grace to show them that they could not live by obeying rules and regulations. They have to depend on God for grace by faith because they refused the message of grace. They were, worship, they were worshiping idols in Egypt. So God had to introduce them to rules and regulations and law to show them how difficult it would be for them to try and live by law. So Galatians chapter 3 Verse 11, verse 11 and 12 says that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Meaning you have to, if you want God to bless you, you have to obey every rule and regulation. So Paul makes it clear, no one can achieve righteousness with God by the law. Because God does not accept righteousness produced through our own efforts, our own strength. It's not going to happen. So those who focus and keep focusing on law end up to be legalistic, just like that man I told you about. And then the whole church became like him till many of us left. Thousands of people left. 3,000 left and only 150 stayed in that church, and they went back into the world, frankly. So since we cannot become righteous through the law, what is the purpose of the cross? And this is where you begin to experience real grace, real grace. It comes through the cross of Jesus. Let me explain that part to you, okay? What's the purpose of the cross? So Jesus died on the cross. He took our sin. He took our darkness and bondage, our pain, our disease, and so on. But what happens to us? How do we experience the benefits of Calvary? So the purpose is to bring us to the end of our own wisdom, to bring us to the end of our own strength, to bring us to the end of our own ability, because the work of the cross basically brings us to the end of our own selves, where we become dependent on the Lord. Our faith is in the Lord, not our own ability. Our eyes are on Jesus, not ourselves, and how we can make it, we can do it, we can work our way to heaven, and so forth. And that's why people, like when they say, well, we're not under the law of Moses, they come out, they come up with a law of their own and will tell you, now here's what you, you need to do to please God. Here's what you have to do to get to heaven. Da, 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 da. And now they, they give you a list of rules and regulations more difficult than the law of Moses and become so legalistic, so much bondage. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in that church in Canada. It got so bad that nobody could get married without asking the pastor, for permission. Nobody could eat breakfast. Listen, it got so so bizarre, nobody would have breakfast without a prophecy. 
that God had to tell him now what to eat for breakfast and who to marry and what job to get. It became so legalistic. It was pure bondage, pure bondage. So the purpose of the cross is to bring us to the end of our own ability, our own self, our own wisdom, our own intelligence. And so when we come to that place, we begin to to really find God's wisdom and God's power. And we begin to enter into, we begin to enter into the grace of God when we come to the end of ourselves and our own abilities and our own wisdom and our own strength and so much more. Now we begin entering, we begin coming into an understanding. We begin living in that understanding of what the grace of God is all about. So, Let's go to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, I read that a few days ago, but I want to show to you in the light of what I'm talking about today. So it says, for the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach what? Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, you and I, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now watch this. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I've always, when I got saved, I always uh, was troubled by this verse. Like, what, what does Paul mean by the foolishness of God or the weakness of God? I'll explain that in just a moment, so stay with me. But let me just say this. It is easy to preach Jesus as a great teacher. It is easy to preach Jesus as a great healer. But that will not get the job done in your life and my life. We must preach Christ crucified. Paul said, the Jews look for a sign. Greeks, wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, the Greeks, foolishness, but unto us who are called Jews and Greeks, Jesus is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. So, we find that Christ, Jesus, through the work of Calvary, we discover that, and I need to add that, through the power of Calvary, through the cross of Jesus, we find that Jesus is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. So we have to come to the end of ourselves on our own strength and on our own wisdom to discover that. Because now the foolishness of God, and this is what Paul means here in, 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 in this amazing verse, really, when you think about it, in verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What he means by this is, the foolishness of God and the weakness of God is the cross, the work of Calvary. When you think about it, the cross speaks of what? Ultimate weakness. The cross speaks of weakness so, so great. I mean, imagine, imagine, here's a person on a cross. This speaks of uh, ultimate weakness, someone in agony, breathing his his last breath. 
That is weakness. So when, when Paul talks about the weakness of God is stronger than man, he meant when Jesus became weak on the cross. Not that God is weak. When, when I got saved, I'm thinking, what did Paul write that? Did he mean God is foolish and God is weak? No, no, no. There's no foolishness in God. There's no weakness in God. It's the work of the cross. Jesus became weak on that cross. Uh, that's what it means by the weakness of God is stronger than men. And think about also how the world saw it as foolishness that God would send his son, who's perfect as we preach, but to die as a criminal? That to the world is, oh, that's foolishness. Like it says, foolishness to the Greek, to the, to the Greek people at that time meant Gentiles. But to us, it's the power of God. To us, it's the wisdom of God. So when we come, and that's all it means here in, in verse 25, that the foolishness of God is wiser than man, weakness of God stronger than man, that's the work of Calvary. Because the cross to the world is foolishness, but that foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of humanity. I'll give you praise, Lord. Wow. And the weakness shown on the cross is stronger than all the strength of humanity. Because in that there is real wisdom. In that there's real strength. That's why it says Jesus is God's wisdom. He is God's power through the cross. So when we come to the end of our strength, to the end of our wisdom, we find the cross is greater. The cross of Jesus stronger than man's strength or wisdom. So, Paul discovers that one day. In 2 Corinthians 12, let's, let's read this because it's a very interesting portion of the Bible talking about uh, his, his thorn in the flesh. Okay, now remember what, what he talked about in that chapter because they had questioned his office as an apostle and now he's trying to explain to them who he is really in God and he said, you know, it's not expedient for me doubtless to, to glory, but I will come to visions and revelations since you people are questioning if I'm a real apostle. Because in those days they were, they were questioning, is Paul a real apostle since he did not walk physically with Jesus? He was a, a late comer, basically. And now he has to explain what God entrusted him with to, to qualify him to be an apostle. So he said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, verse 2. Whether in the body, I don't know. Whether out of, out, in, out of the body, I don't know. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God knoweth. How that he was caught up into, into paradise, heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for, for us to utter. Of such a one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would, I would desire to glory, I will not be a fool. I will say the truth. But now I forbear, meaning I am, you, you force me to tell you all this, basically, is what he's saying. Lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he hath of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, wait. A thorn in the flesh 
was an Old Testament term about the strangers living in the land of Israel that would become thorns in the flesh of the Israelites. So a thorn in the flesh is someone who will harass you. So Joshua, and you can read this for yourself later, 23, 13, he said, if you leave these strangers in the land, there'll be thorns in your flesh, and so on. So when Paul or anyone in the New Testament talked about about a thorn in in the flesh, he's thinking about Old Testament type. So a thorn in the flesh would be a person who came to harass, basically, who came to trouble another person. So we don't know whether that person is a spirit or a person, uh, you know, in, in, in the flesh. I mean, someone who lived at that time. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is Paul was troubled by some thorn in the flesh, and he calls him the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times or thrice, that it might depart from me. So it, that's why people say, well, was it a person? Was it a spirit? We don't know. But God said, here's the real point here. God says to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weakness, or here called infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So basically, when you come to the end of yourself, and now you're living in weakness, basically, the power of Jesus will come on you. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities or weakness, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then am I strong. And I think this verse, a lot of Bible teachers believe what it was talking about is the persecution it was going through is the thorn in the flesh. Because he says, I take pleasure in weakness and persecutions and distress and necessities. So some say, well, possibly the thorn in the flesh had to do with the persecution he was going through. Possible, but we still don't know. All we know is, He says, when I am weak, then am I strong. When I come to the end of my strengths, when I come to the end of my own abilities, I find the strength of Jesus. And so he says in verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, reproach, necessities, persecution, distress, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I. I strong. So, this is very important because grace begins, I think you you need to write this one down. This will really, really help you. Grace begins when ability stops. Grace begins when ability stops. When ability comes to the end, you have no longer any ability to live the Christian life. You don't have the ability to pray right. You don't have the ability to understand the Bible right. You're struggling to live the Christian life. You're trying to find rules and regulations. I'm talking to somebody and I'm telling you. You're finding rules and regulations to give yourself some peace and comfort and all you're doing to yourself is bringing yourself in greater and deeper bondage. 
No, stop it. Stand fast, therefore, now in the liberty wherewith Christ hath set you and made you free. And don't you be entangled again. I'm talking to somebody. Don't you be entangled again in that horrible bondage. It's pure bondage. A lot of people today are in bondage. Bondage to preachers, bondage to family members, bondage to all kinds of things and ideas. No, Jesus said, set you free. Be free indeed. Come to the end of your own wisdom. Come to the end of your own abilities. Come to the end of your own strengths. And in there you'll find the Lord, his wisdom, his strength, his ability. Years ago when I, when I talked to a man named David Duplessis, he was called at that time Mr. Pentecost. We all looked up to him. Everyone looked up to him. God had used that man mightily. And I had the privilege of getting to know him. And I was asked to walk him to his room one day. We were speaking at the same conference in Brockville, Ontario. And a lady named Marty Phillips, who was the assistant to Catherine Kuhlman in Canada, said, would you walk David to his room? It was my privilege. And I thought, oh, what is the one question I could ask this mighty man of God? Because this was like my only chance to really be with this amazing giant of the faith. And I said, Mr. Duplessis. I actually called him Mr. Pentecost because that's what we all called him. Imagine calling a man Mr. Pentecost. I said, Mr. Pentecost, how can I please God? How can I do it? He stopped. He put his finger on my chest and pushed me to the wall. He said, it's not your ability. It's his ability in you. Good night. And he walked off. And I stood there not knowing what he said. Well, today I do. You come to the end of yourself. Let God's ability now work through you. And so, grace begins when our human abilities stop. That's what Paul meant when he said in Galatians 2.20, something powerful. And we, we know it, and we've sung about it, and we've heard sermons about it. But it's quite a simple message and very, very, very powerful. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. Ah, this is the key. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Even my life in the flesh, I can't live it on my own. I need the faith of Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. Watch what, what he says. I do not frustrate the grace of God because you frustrate the grace of God when you're trying to do it by yourself. When you say, I'm going to do it. No, 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 no. This is the key. This is the key to holiness, frankly, when you live that kind of life that Paul here talks about. Crucified with Christ, yet I live, but not I. Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's holiness. You know, a lot of people have tried to be holy and messed it all up because they read like Hebrews 12, 14, and it says here, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see, the, shall see the Lord. And they think, well, you know what? I want to be holy so I can see Jesus one day and make it to heaven. What they don't understand is in the old covenant, holiness consisted of keeping a set of very complicated rules and regulations. In the New Testament, Peter says, be ye holy. Let's read that together. Come on. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. I hope you wrote all this down. 
Be holy, God says, for I'm holy. So in the old covenant, it was a set of rules and regulations. In the new, it's Jesus who enables us to live that life because he fulfilled the law in us. So how? How does it happen? By dying to self. When we die to self, then we let Jesus live his life in and through us. So it's the message comes back to death to self. Christianity is about yielding, not struggling. That's what I've meant, and I still mean by dying to self. Dying to self is stop struggling and start yielding. That's what it means. Stop fighting and begin to surrender to Jesus. It's not effort, but union with the Lord. Not effort, but union. A lady was talking to a friend, and she said, how do you deal with temptations? And her friend said, when the devil knocks on my door, I just let Jesus answer. <laughs> when the devil knocks on my door, I just let Jesus answer. Wow, I love that. So it goes back, not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. That how, that's how we receive supernatural grace. Not living, let Jesus live. Not trying, surrender, yield. So the word in Christianity is not try or try harder. It's not struggle or struggle a little more. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Wow. So simple to yield. So simple to yield. Like a little baby coming, jumping into the arms of his father or mom. Total faith. They're going to catch that little baby boy or that little baby girl who comes running and jumps on mommy and jumps on daddy. Wow. Yielding. Surrender is the key to grace, not law. Lord, thank you for your word. You said if we abide in you and you abide in us, there'll be fruit in our life. You said without me, you can do nothing. In John 15, you said to us, Lord, to abide in you. Without you, we cannot do it. Bring your people now out of bondage, please. Oh, Lord, release them from legalism. Those who are under legalistic rules and regulations, release them. Please stretch your hands. I'm, I feel the anointing with me here. Come on. Lord, in Jesus' name, release your people from those rules, from those regulations. Paul said, do not frustrate the grace of God. Help them, Lord, come to that grace. Freely given. Thank you, Lord, that they might, might live free from bondage, free from legalistic bondage. In the name of Jesus, release them today. For your glorious name's sake, bring them into your liberty, into your peace and joy. In the Holy Ghost. Amen and amen. You make that step now. You make that first step. You decide, I will not allow anyone to put me in bondage ever again. I'm going to let Jesus live through me, and I will be free. That's Christianity. I just give it to you in a, the most simple way I can put it. It is not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth.
And even the life I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith he gives me to live it. How simple. That's real Christianity. All right, thank you for being with me. Would you consider today to sow a seed into the Lord's work? Help us, please, to spread the message and keep doing what I'm doing for the Lord, whom we all love. And giving, you know, the Lord has told us how he will bless us over and over. I know sometimes we've been disappointed when we give and nothing happens. But you know, when we give, God doesn't forget that. God, God never forgets our obedience. He never forgets and dismisses our obedience. In the right moment, on the right, in the right situation, God will bless us financially. So you don't have to worry about finance. You just have to obey the Lord and say, Lord, I love you so much and I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for your love that I'm going to give today a seed in appreciation, in faithfulness to your work. I want to be faithful with my giving, Lord, because I really love you and I thank you with all my heart for all you've done and all you're going to do for me financially, keeping me happy and blessed with my family. Do it today, will you? Okay, you can give right now. Just go to our website, benahin.org, or do it on the platform you're watching me on, or simply text BHM45777. Tomorrow, a most beautiful program from the Philippines. You are going to love it. I promise you, tomorrow's program is going to just elate you. You're going to be so blessed. You're going to feel the anointing. I, I was just watching it. I got so blessed. I really got so blessed. And I want you to see this beautiful clip tomorrow from Manila, when I was in Manila, and the beautiful healings, and I believe, and I pray God will heal you even as you see what happened in the Philippines. It's, it's, it's a classic, we're showing a lot of classics right now, uh, here and there, to just be a blessing to your life. So make sure to watch tomorrow and tell your friends to watch, and, and make sure to share the message I shared today. I'll see you again. Bye-bye.